If you like the show, share it with a friend. You can find us at facebook.com slash slipangleshow, and you can visit our new home on the web at www.tracktuned.com backslash slipangle. You can also leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes. Show. I'm Austin Cabot, and this is episode 53, and today I'm in Concord, North Carolina at Driven Steering Wheels headquarters with CEO, owner, uh, pretty much the man here at Driven Steering Wheels, Zach Skolnick. How's it going, Zach? Going well. How about yourself? Doing great. Thanks for having me up. No worries. Glad you can come out and see what we got going on here. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's actually pretty close to Atlanta. I used to spend a little bit of time uh, in the area when I worked for Continental. Um, you know, down in Fort Mill. So spent a decent amount of time up here. Used to drive up to Mooresville all the time to kind of shop for, for racing gear. But this whole area is just racing central of all of all types. You know, we, we went on a, a parts run a little earlier. And, you know, even in the complex you guys are in, there's there's different, you know, racing companies and stuff. It's, I don't know, Southern California, everyone always talks about racing out there. But uh, I feel like it's almost a bigger, bigger thing out here. Yeah, it really depends on what kind of racing you're after. Road racing still really big on the West Coast, but you know, just in North Carolina, you got the top Formula Drift teams to NASCAR to even IMSA teams are based here now. So yeah, kind of the reason why I moved down here uh, in 2008 to go to Belmont Abbey College. Okay, for a business degree in motorsports marketing. Oh, nice. What Found was that? Love. What was that like? It was good. Small school, maybe yeah. 1,800 students total okay. the whole university, so everyone knew everyone. Yeah. It's a good and bad thing, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, I got to do some unique internships throughout my experience oh, I bet. at the college with Ferrari North America. Oh, cool. Earnhardt Canassi Racing and TRG Motorsports. How big is that program there? How many, how many students graduated out of that program the year you went? My class was 15. Okay. It's wow, super that's, small. Yeah, yeah, that's really tight-knit. Like, my high school, middle school, or 10 times the size of of that college, but yeah. it's a good program, and it's the only one in the country where okay. you can graduate with a bachelor's business degree in motorsports marketing. So. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's very specialized. But for anybody that you know, any of our our younger listeners, or even some of our our, <laughs> our listeners that might already have a degree, but are, are kind of thinking about changing career fields and want to end up in motorsports, that that might not be a bad place to look. Yeah, Belmont Abbey, Abbey is definitely worth it. You know, I figured. If you can't make it as a race car driver, if you can work in the industry and be around it and be around cars all the time, it, it's it's a win win. It's so. not yeah, it's not a bad not a bad option. That's kind of where where I'm at a little bit right now. Uh, you know, if I if I can't become a professional racer and don't really have the means to you know go out and race myself in something that I own, at least I can be around it and be around people that you know still appreciate it. So. That's kind of that's kind of what what we're doing now. You you grew up racing a lot, didn't you? Yeah, started when I was seven. My dad actually used to race Formula cars and oh really SCCA and I didn't know that. I've always been around the track and you could race kid karts at five years old, but the problem was in the state of New Jersey, you had to be at least twelve years old. Really? So, so there, there's a state law on is that on kart racing specifically, or is that just racing in general? That's just in the state of New Jersey. The, wow. The police govern racing there. Okay. But we learned about a track in upstate New York called Oakland Valley Race Park. 
and we started there. I, I took a racing school with Mike Doty, who's the racing pro, and started there and just never looked back. You know, I've okay. raced go-karts all over the world. I went to Portugal. I went to France. I've run some 24-hour races for Team USA. And from there, I went to Formula Fords. I was one of the youngest ones in the Northeast racing Formula cars at 15 years old. Oh, wow. And this is way before the F2000 series and all of that. So did that, did some circle track. I've raced in, at the time, it was the Grand Am Continental Tire Series. So. Yeah, yeah, I remember you were driving. Weren't you driving one of the uh, the Mazda Speed 3s? The Speed 3 for okay. Nixon Motorsport. So it was okay. a privateer effort. Awesome. So, and then after that, I know you've done, um, I've seen some, I feel like I've seen some quarter midgets a little bit. No quarter midgets. Um, or legends, sorry. Legend cars, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when I moved down here for school, legend cars were, it's the affordable option around here to go racing, so... We won the world championship, the road course world championship at Infineon in 2012. Okay. So you could say I've kind of driven everything with four wheels on it. Yeah. And I still do, you know, we're back go-karting full time. Yeah. Which is really exciting. Ran Daytona for a company called Ionic Edge and they manufacture carts. In, yeah. Kyle. Kyle Luchor. Yeah. Great guy. Good people. And, you know, I fell in love with being at the racetrack and being competitive. So I now I have my own cart and. We're gonna follow the national tour this year, so have okay. some fun. Awesome. So now, you know, when you when you started getting into karting at a young age, were there a lot of other kids in the area that you were competing against regularly? For sure. Like just in our part of the uh, northeast, I was racing against Marco Andretti. Okay. And a couple other kids that you know, at nine, ten years old, ten years old, we knew who was going into car racing. Yeah. You know, Sage Caroms come out of that track, and a lot of the guys you see racing on TV from. IMSA to NASCAR I've raced with growing up so. that's got to be a pretty cool feeling man yeah definitely neat and you know a lot of these guys I, I used to kick their butt out the track so <laughs> it's cool to see but you know I you know obviously I'm starting to get into karting now I never got into it when I was when I was younger um, but when I was younger I did I raced BMX a lot and you know you start kind of developing relationships with the people that you race with because you see them in all the different events and everything. Is it the same way, kind of in more like top level amateur karting, um, where you know the kids will kind of like you'll have some some buddies that you race against um, that you see at all the events and you hang out in between sessions and things like that? Or yeah, I mean ultimately with karting it's still fun. Yeah, while it's a, a path into motorsports for a lot of people, at the end of the day you got to have fun. So we had scooter races. Uh, after a race or you know just hang out throw a football so it, it was definitely a family atmosphere yeah till we get on the tracks and all the dads <laughs> started screaming at each other and it's like soccer moms but worse so. yeah now what was the transition like coming out of carts going to formula cars you know what was that obviously that was you said 15 uh did you start practicing in cars at like 14 before you were racing them or so i actually um i lied about where I live so I can get my permit in Florida <laughs> and start driving on the street sooner. And I went through the Skip Barber program, and I think Skip okay. really does a good job with transitioning carters from go-karts to cars. So yeah. I can give them a lot of credit for kind of streamlining the process of getting me fast in a, in a race car. So Okay. what uh, like Where were you driving with Skip Barber at? What tracks? It was uh, Lime Rock. Okay. Primarily is where we went up to and took their three-day and just right from there, I think, Two weeks later, I was racing a Formula Ford. So. Okay, that's pretty sweet. Now, you know, for, for some of our listeners that may not have experienced, uh, you know, more open-wheel cars like that, uh, you know, I've seen some Formula Fords pop up for not a whole lot of money recently. 
Um, but it's still a really popular class. I know at runoffs a couple years ago that there were, what, like 100 cars or something in Formula Ford? It's gotten to the point Formula cars are just so expensive. Yeah. And at that point, like, we transitioned over into Mazda's Spec Miata program. Okay. And, you know, they bang for your buck. Yeah, it's expensive for a top-running 99, but fun factor, it's there, you know. Yeah. Your club or regional Spec Miata races are more competitive than some of the, the national Formula Ford races that only get now, like, four or five cars. Yeah. So... You know, one thing that, that I've always found really interesting, too, whenever people think racing and wanting to get into it, they always kind of want to go out and, and win. It's just natural. But what they don't realize is that the racing at the back is just as good, if not better, than the racing at the front. Yeah, and that's why I love Spec Miata. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter if you're 65 years old and this is your golf game and you're running in 25th place or you're running for first place. You know, it's it's competitive. Yeah. For sure. You'll always have someone out there to race with. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and Spec Miata has some of the the biggest fields. I don't know if you saw the uh, you know the runoffs this year. Um, that was a really interesting race. I keep talking about it, you know, every couple shows, but uh, really, really interesting to watch. So yeah, runoffs were cool. You know, it's cool to see my buddy Jonathan Goring, another one yeah. I grew up go karting with. Okay, see him on an international level running up front. You know? Yeah, so definitely good, good, good race series for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it's uh, it almost seems like it's kind of like, you know, on the Disney Channel, like all these like child stars were all together at the same period on like certain shows and then kind of go off and do their own thing. It's almost like that with with racing from from that area that you're from. So, yeah, it's kind of kind of funny. Yeah, definitely. Like last year when I went down to Daytona for the Continental race, it was just one big reunion. You know? Yeah. Those guys are there racing and. My steering wheels are in their race cars, which is really cool to see. So yeah, now you're you're going to Daytona here in a couple of days, aren't you? Yeah. So this week we got a big motorsports show in PA. It's called Motorsports 2016, and then next week we'll be down there for the Continental Race, supporting okay. all of our drivers and teams. So. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, man. Busy, busy schedule. Yeah. Keep at it. You know, that's kind of what separates us from our competition. Is I do travel a lot, and we like to support the local racers, and that goes a long way with our with our racers that are using our wheels so. yeah now so going to school and getting a degree in you know in motorsports marketing or motorsports business um you know what what kind of brought about the idea for a steering wheel company i just learned there was a there's a untapped market you know there was yeah. momo sparko omp they're a very expensive brand and not everyone can afford a 400 dollars steering wheel right you got guys, perfect examples, autocross or chump car. They want a suede wheel, but they have tires to pay for. They have entry fees. So we have the ability to manufacture steering wheels, same quality, but for half the price. You know, typically our wheels range around $160. So Yeah. You know, I know when you when you first launched the company back, what was that, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there? Yeah. yeah. You started with one steering wheel. I think it was, what, a, a 13 or 13 and a half inch deep dish? Our 13.5 inch yeah. dish wheel. And, you know, we put them available for pre-sale and I had 100 sold before they even came in the country. So wow. started with one wheel and now we're up to four and expanding our product line rapidly. And we got 110 dealers around the world and distribution around seven or eight different places around the world so yeah yeah which is great you know i've seen uh, i've seen pretty much every time you go to an international trade show you pick up a new dealer which is which is awesome like i always hit that like button when i see you announce it on facebook so yeah the product literally sells itself i mean it's priced right it's a good quality suede and yeah 
they're affordable and they're built with safety in mind. You know, there's plenty of EBA wheels, and they've kind of given the the cheaper, more affordable steering wheel is a bad rep. But we got around that, and our wheels are built with safety in mind. And our NASCAR our wheel is only one of three wheels that are approved by NASCAR at oh, the really? R and D center. I didn't know that. Yeah. So us OMP and uh, Momo are the three wheels that they approved. They've okay. done destructive testing, so there's oh, wow. a lot of thought process that goes into our steering wheels. Yeah. You know, I've seen some videos of some, like, cheap eBay wheels and stuff that literally you can just, like, bend in your hands. Uh, obviously, that's not the case with, with your products no. at all. <laughs> so, and I know now you guys are starting to branch out into some gloves and some other things, too. Um, you know, it's uh, it, but still carrying that same quality from the wheels over. Yeah, so we're slowly expanding our product lineup into FIA road racing seats seatbelts, gloves, and all jokes aside, you know, we're trying to take down the big players, whether it's Sparko or Momo, by 2017. So, yeah, we definitely have the path in the right direction and offer the same quality products for everything that we do, just half the price. So, Right. Now, what's some of the feedback been from some of the drivers? Obviously, you know, the the business keeps growing and you've gotten you've gotten the wheels in a lot of, you know, the right people's hands, Uh, you know, professional drivers and, and things like that. Um, but what's really cool too is you know there's professional drivers using the steering wheels and I think I think didn't you share something about like a three year old like g- kid racing a go kart too recently that had yeah I mean yeah. we got kids from your local go kart track yeah. at four years old to your professional sprint cup drivers running driven wheels you know yeah and what's nice about our wheels is we only have four so the same wheel that's in your NASCAR sprint cup is in your local short track late model so yeah. Which is really, really cool, actually. You know, it's to me when I was thinking about it coming up, I was like, you know, why had nobody tapped that market before? Because it's one of those things like you think racing and, you know, you can put a picture of a steering wheel and a checkered flag up and not even say anything about racing. And people would be like, yeah, that's that's about racing right there. Like those two things, you know, pretty much define what what racing really is. Like they're the symbols of racing. So, you know, it's it's really interesting to me to be able to be here and be sitting with you, you know, because in a relatively short amount of time, you've actually created a business and grown it from essentially nothing, you know, to being one of the, the up and coming players in the industry. Yeah. All my friends thought I was crazy. You know, <laughs> oh, you, there's no way you can compete with Momo or Sparko. Yeah. But, you know, I just kept at it and, you know, we slowly built our dealer network and. I mean, we have wheels everywhere. I yeah. can go to California or I can go to Finland and I can find a driven steering wheel in just about every single racing series, which is really cool to see how quickly it's grown. Yeah. So next you need to get in some uh, like offshore racing boats, man. We already have some in boats. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, they run our 15-inch NASCAR wheel. Okay. So. Man. <laughs> so you're just kind of kind of everywhere. That's it. Yeah. We got our hands and steering wheels and literally everything. So. Yeah. So which is awesome, awesome to hear. So now I know recently you kind of you've started karting again. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about your your recent experience that you had down at Daytona? Yeah, so we went down to Daytona. It's been probably eight years since I ran a national kart race. So I teamed up with Ionic Edge and they supplied a kart for me to run. And I mean, right out of the back, we were fast. You know, I qualified yeah. fifth out of forty eight karts. Yeah, had some issues in the heat races. Got ran over. And <laughs> next heat, the chain broke and. For whatever reason, we had to keep driving through the field, but, you know, we were one of the fastest carts on the track, and day one, I went from 29th to 8th, and the second day, I went from 16th to the 5th. I was going, you know, I was going through the field. We had a little 
scuffle went off the track, had to come back on. But, you know, it's fun. I enjoy racing and gives you something to look forward to at the end of the week. Normally, I go yeah. to the track and watch everyone else race. So to be there, and it's not just about racing, too. We're, we're developing karting wheels as well. Okay. So I get to kind of be hands-on in the development with those and being able to try them myself versus giving them to my factory drivers. So. Yeah. Now, you know, a lot of people don't know uh, that every week – or, sorry, every year there's a week uh, down at Daytona that's designated essentially as kart week. And it's just tons of tons of kart racing, uh, which is obviously what you just came back from. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that experience is like, just kind of being there for kart week? Because, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of look at go-karts and they're like, oh, you know, that's kind of what you go race at the concessions, you know, when you're cruising around. Or maybe this racetrack has, you know, a go-kart track, too, where I can rent a cart and go race. But they, they haven't really taken that next step to kind of see... I guess what you can get into as far as karting goes themselves. And it's actually, uh, you know, at least for me, I didn't realize that kart racing was so big in America um, without, you know, before I started researching last year, you know, and that's kind of when I found the LO206 class and stuff like that. But, you know, what, what is kart week like, you know, being down there and just having tons of different, you know, types of carts racing. Cause I know they were racing some, you know, obviously on the, the infield um, go-kart track, you know, go-kart specific track, but I think they were also racing some carts on the, the regular road course too, weren't they? Yeah. So they had go-karts running on the big road course. They had carts on the dirt track. You know, I started oh, going yeah. to Daytona racing cart week when I was 12. Okay. So it was really cool to come back and, you know, Daytona is one of those pinnacle of motorsports. You know, you got the Daytona 500, yeah. you got the Rolex 24, but just to be there racing on the same grounds as Dale Earnhardt Sr. and Scott Pruitt and you name it, you know, it's really cool it's yeah. just to be there and, and to be able to race on the same track as those guys. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, How many people generally show up for kart week? Do you know? Dirt racing, they get the most entries. They probably get a couple hundred. Okay. We probably had 100, 150, whatever they had on the big track. So, okay. In years past, it's it's been really big and it's kind of dwindled off. And now it's kind of with the LO206 class and the affordable racing motor packages. It's kind of coming back. So, yeah. Yeah. For any of our, our listeners that are listening um, and kind of wondering what we're talking about when we say LO206, um, it actually stands for Local Option 206, which is a motor code um, for a Briggs and Stratton, you know, four cycle uh, motor that you really can't do a whole lot to the engine. You know, the idea is to kind of eliminate um, that barrier to entry to be competitive, uh, where people have to spend a lot of money on a motor build and a fresh motor to be able to go and be competitive. Because uh, that was kind of the biggest thing, you know, when I was looking to get into, into karting a couple years ago, uh, you know, I could get into karting, but if I wanted to be competitive, it was almost just as expensive as running like a spec Miata or something if you really wanted to do it right. Yeah, so, karting on a national level, when you, you look at the tag motors and the shifter cars, it's cheaper, <laughs> yeah. to, go, it's cheaper to go car racing. But, you know, yeah. Briggs has done a really good job of kind of making it spec racing and making it more affordable. You know, you can buy a complete engine package for seven, 800 bucks. Yeah. You can get a cart from Ionic edge for 2,500 bucks and you can go racing for less than 3,500 bucks. Yeah. So. And that's with brand new equipment. You exactly, know, obviously yeah. if you, if you shop around a little bit, you can find something for even less than that. So, you know, we're, we're hoping to kind of do some, some stuff in the future with, with carting a little bit. Uh, some of the listeners, may know but a lot of them probably don't i just you know recently bought an lo206 cart myself 
Um, now that I know my fiance doesn't listen to the show, I can say that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we'll be, be racing with you guys occasionally when I can. Uh, but mainly what I picked it up for was for the, the cheap seat time. You know, like tomorrow we're going to go out. What's tomorrow? A Wednesday? We're going to go out tomorrow morning to GoPro and be able to get, you know, seat time and in the cart, which normally it's not like you could, you know, call up CMP and be like, hey, man, I'm going to come practice. They'd be like, all right, bring tons and tons of money, tons and tons of money and tons and tons of tires. You know, yeah. you can go out to GoPro Motorplex. And what's nice about being in this area, you never know who's going to show up there. Yeah. You know, Jamie McMurray still goes and races carts. So does AJ Allmendinger. Yeah. He, AJ was at Daytona. So was Coach Gibbs with his grandkid. Yeah. Yeah. I so. read that. I read that article uh, somewhere online. I saw that. So, which was, was really, really cool. A lot of people, a lot of people kind of see karting as a stepping stone, but at the same time, there's a lot of people that also return to karting uh, as well, just to kind of keep, you know, skills sharp or stuff like that. So I think there's just kind of this, this purity to it that, you know, a lot of people kind of miss out on because they kind of write it off as, oh, you know, I race cars already. Uh, why should I get into karting? And the best car racers, you know, they are out there weekly yeah. testing. That's the best gym you can have is just going out there and making laps. And I feel like everyone that's raced cars have eventually come back to go-karting one way or another, yeah. whether racing or just out there yeah. for training. So you know, I, I really wish I would have found it sooner, to be honest. You know, it was only like last year when I was thinking about finally selling the car and looking at looking at something that I could still race and tow around with a station wagon that I kind of was like, hey, let's check this karting thing out and realized, kind of stumbled into this whole like, network of carters that like i never really noticed before you know so now it's you know when i'm driving down the interstate and i know there's a race weekend coming up or something and i see a small enclosed trailer i'm like huh wonder if that's a carter you know so it's uh it's a lot larger industry than than you think it really is yeah for sure so now going going from carts you know and then into the the formula car thing um and then going into circle track you know, what was the progression there from going from formula cars to circle track stuff? What kind of, you know, promoted that? And what what are your thoughts as a driver, um, you know, going from road course stuff to circle track stuff? It takes a different driving mentality. Yeah. Like you almost have to reteach yourself how to brake, you know. Okay. The simple things that, you know, road course, you know, straight line brake, downshift, turn and go. Yeah. Well, with circle tracks, especially the legend cars, you're going off in the corners, still full throttle and breaking mid corner. Huh. So it's just pr programming your brain. And, you know, once I figured it out, I had a really good crew chief with the legend cars, Ryan Farbo, Farbo Motorsports. So he had a good car. It was just me, you know, reteaching myself how to brake and how to drive and yeah. having patience, you know. Yeah. Road course, if you're faster than someone, you can set them up in a corner. <laughs> Sometimes that's not always the case in circle track. And it takes longer a lot to set of time it up. And avoiding wrecks and yeah. kind of bumper car racing to, <laughs> to say. So good experience. I'm glad I've raced circle track stuff and yeah. legend cars, especially because it teaches you a lot about car control. Yeah. And I think if someone's fast in a legend car, whether it's on a road course or oval, they can hop in anything, whether it's an ARCA late model or a K&N NASCAR or mm -hmm. 911, you know, yeah. they'll be okay. Yeah, that's the way, um, you know, Steve Doherty, who actually won uh, GT Academy in 2012 um, and, you know, was racing for Nissan a little bit here and there. Uh, he came up through the, the circle track ranks, actually. And, you know, I went karting with him before I ever, like, really got into karting or anything. And, you know, I was a decent road course driver at the time. And we went to, uh, um, I think, Sugar River. Um, up in Wisconsin, 
which I think is where Danica Patrick uh, started doing a lot of her karting at. But, you know, this guy that had done a bunch of circle track stuff, like, kicked my butt on a freaking, like, road course in a cart. And I'm like, who the heck is this kid, you know? So uh, he definitely, coming up through the circle track ranks, I think the skills really can transfer over. And we, we talked about it a little bit on the show in the past. Um, I've got a lot of respect for those guys. I mean, to be racing, especially for some of the bigger races like NASCAR stuff, to be racing, you know, essentially door to door with somebody for hours on end, you know, being three, four inches away from them, you know, it's uh, it's really impressive, actually. Yeah, the talent level in NASCAR, it used to be they would hire road course ringers yeah. to go run Watkins Glen or Infineon or Summit or What's the other track they run at? So, uh, Sonoma? Yeah, Sears Point. Yeah. Sears Point. Yeah. But, you know, now the, the, the regulars are so good. You know, they, they go out with Ford and train in Mustangs out in Utah, and they're pretty stout. You know, like they're, they're no joke now on road courses. Yeah. That ringer side of things have kind of gone away. So, you know, that goes back to kind of what I was talking uh, with Ross Bentley about a couple episodes ago was that, you know, a good driver has that versatility. You know, you can essentially put them in anything that they have to control. And if they have the adaptability, you know, they're going to be able to be fast in it, whether it's, you know, from a circle track to, uh, you know, to carts, to road course, to razor side-by-sides, you know, which I know you've had a little bit of experience with recently. Just a um, bit. Which, by the way, I have to say that those things are amazingly fun. Yeah, so. they're a lot of fun. Um, almost too much fun, you know. <laughs> I was doing a race over at Charlotte Motor Speedway with Terracross. It was Live on CB, CBS Sports, and I got in a little hot over a 30-foot crossover jump side-by-side side with someone and went for a ride, you know. <laughs> so definitely got some good TV time. Yeah. Driven guy, a nice interview on there. I wish I put a sticker on the bottom of the Polaris <laughs> for advertising. But, yeah, it's it. they're a lot of fun, and kind of that's the new age racing now is these Polarises. You know, yeah. Polaris, Yamaha has a new one with it a stick shift to it so yeah yeah i've seen that it's pretty much the r1 motor isn't it mm-hmm. yeah which is just absolutely <laughs> insane i can't can't even imagine what that thing is like yeah you know, i don't think uh, i should drive one i'll find a way to flip it or <laughs> yeah you know i was actually out in arizona a couple uh, months ago pretty much like the weekend after sema mm-hmm. um and went out and actually rode razors uh one of our our buddies jamie lugo owns a razor rental company nice. out in phoenix yeah and so we took like three of those things out and he had just bought one of the new turbo uh, razors and that thing was just so fast and the suspension, it just sucks everything up, but you can, you can dump some money into those things. Yeah. They started around 20. I yeah. know firsthand yeah. I'm wrecking one, but <laughs> you know, the turbo one's pretty cool and yeah, you can take them anywhere. They have race series for them now, or you can go in the woods with yeah, your buddies. So. I think with score, um, you know, like desert, like off-road racing out in, you know, out West that class, like whatever class the Razor's race in, is the largest growing, largest class and the fastest growing class. Yeah, they do the Baja 500 and 1000 with UTVs. Yeah. As long as there's no big jumps, I would love to do that. Yeah, which is funny because, you know, we talk about, you know, a $50,000 build for something like that to have, you know, a competitive, even just like a mid-pack competitive truck or, you know, Razor for that. But you look at what it would take to be running like one of the pre-runner trucks or something, and, you know, those builds are going to be in like the $100,000 range. So it's actually pretty cheap compared to some of the other stuff. Yeah, it's definitely one of my bucket list items is to go around the 1000 and, yeah. and a UTV. Yeah. Not so much pre-runners, but I think yeah. a UTV will be a blast. Yeah, that'd be sweet. 
So at some places like in Arizona, you can actually get them street legal. <laughs> so technically, you could drive across the whole state, um, you know, in one of those and not have an issue at all. So uh, let's take a quick break and we'll go have a driving tip uh, from Ross Bentley. Sounds good. Let's do it. Let's talk a little bit about the pros and cons of using the curbs. Um, you know, the reason for using an apex curb, the biggest reason for using the apex curb is it allows you to straighten the corner out more, right? The larger the radius you take through a corner, the, the straighter the line you take through the corner, the faster you can drive through there. So by actually cutting across the inside curbing, you're actually straightening the line out more and making a larger radius that allows you to drive through there faster. So that's the, that's the advantage of using the curb on the inside of a corner. The disadvantage, obviously, is that some curbs can upset the cars too much. And that's one of those things where there is no right or wrong way. You kind of got a feeling, you know, sometimes a curb, you know, a curb will work with one car, but it won't with another car. It has to do with how compliant the suspension is. Um, but understanding, obviously, the, the, you know, the main thing to think about is, you know, as you're going through, let's say, a right-hand corner, those inside tires on the right-hand side, you know, they're going over the, the curbing, and yeah, the curbing may, may not or probably doesn't have as much grip as the track surface does, but those inside tires are so lightly loaded anyways from the weight transfer that most of the, the coring force is being generated by those outside tires. So that's why you can kind of, you can sacrifice a little bit there. Um, uh, how you cut across that curb also plays a big, big role in whether you can use it or not. You know, a lot of it is, it's not just the driving along it, it's, you know, do you clip it? Do you stay on top of it? You know, what angle are you at when you go across it? You know, there are some corners where you're going to use the curbing, but as you know, you've got some wheel in the car and you're going across the curbing, and just as you go, you kind of straighten just a little bit and then bring it, have to bring it back. So the idea is you kind of bring the wheels straighter just as you clip the curb, and then you've got to put a little bit more in once you're past the curbing again. Those are all things that you just got to experiment with and try. Um, you know, in terms of the exit curbs, well, they're, you know, to me, they're part of the track, unless they're, they're so aggressive in the shape of them that they upset the car too much. Now, the opposite of, of um, the, you know, the apex curbing is now the tires that are doing the bulk of the cornering is on, you know, this outside, they're the ones that are on the curbing. So, Depending on the nature of that curbing, again, the shape of it, but also the surface, whether how, you know, how much paint is on that curbing and things, they may or may not have as much grip as the track surface does. And, you know, where this becomes really important is the difference between on a dry day and a wet day. You know, sometimes you can use a curb a lot because it's got good grip when it's dry, but when it's wet because of the paint, it's very, very slippery. So where a curbing that you might use in the dry, you wouldn't use in the rain. So again, you got to play around with that. But you know, overall, your, your, your goal is to maximize the radius of that corner. So from the very, very inside or from the entry to the corner to the across the curbing at the apex to the exit curbing, your job is to straighten that corner out as much as you can. Using the curbs is one way of doing that. A lot of drivers are a little afraid to use some curbs, but sometimes, you know, it's kind of, you know, skiers know this. Sometimes you got to, the more you attack the moguls, the easier it is to, to, to ski them. Um, the more you attack the curbings, the more committed you are to using those curbings, the easier it is. If you're kind of trying to tiptoe across them, rarely does that work. So, you know, I wish I could say always use the curbs or never use the curbs. <laughs> Can't do that. It's one of those things you got to go and test it a little bit and nibble at it, nibble at it, and use it a little more, use it a little more, and then just attack it and see what happens. 
obviously there's one other factor that plays a role in this, and that is if I hit the curbing too hard, is it going to hurt my car? It's a judgment call you got to make. Thanks, Ross, for that tip. Uh, to find out more about Ross and about Speed Secrets, you can visit speedsecrets.com. And we're back with Zach Skolnick from Driven Steering Wheels. Uh, Zach, tell us a little bit about your uh, your Grand Am experience. Uh, what was what was that like? You know, racing kind of with uh, some of the people that you may have looked up to uh, for for a couple years. You know, it's definitely intimidating, especially trying to get the pit stops down while we're, we're practicing during practice. You know, yeah. but we did really well. Worked our way into the top ten, battling people like Andy Lally. Like at the time, he was with Factory Kia. Yeah, and it was just that was a kinetic team that he was with. Kinetic, then, right? yeah. yeah. And funny, the guy that hired me to drive with him, he thought I've raced front-wheel drive cars before. <laughs> that was not the case. But, you know, once I got into a rhythm, we clicked off some really fast lap times. And definitely, definitely worthwhile experience to say I've done it. And hopefully one day we'll come back with the driven car yeah. and run the 24 hours of Daytona. Yeah, that'd be sweet. Him, but. Yeah. Now, what was, uh, you know, going to a front-wheel drive car, what do you remember the most? Like, what was the coolest thing about being in front-wheel drive, and what was, like, the most frustrating thing? Speed 3 was fast. Yeah. Definitely had a lot of front bite and a lot of push. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing to learn was to just drive through the push. Yeah. It's going to push, <laughs> but it's fast. Yeah. So, definitely cool. My cool suit didn't work, but it was a hot day. I remember that came out. I think I probably lost five, 10 pounds. Oh man. Sweating, sweating. And you know, helmets just like covered in salt, you know, yeah. when you pull your helmet off and let it dry. But after I did the first one, you know, I think if I go back to running a, a pro race like that, I'll be a little more relaxed. You know, it's yeah. definitely stressful. Yeah. First time you're doing a grid walk, signing autographs with thousands of people coming through the, <laughs> the paddock. So now I've always wondered in cars like that, you know, when you're doing driver changes and, and things like that, do they try and like pair drivers up by like their height, you know, so that you know things don't Garrett, take as long to adjust? Or? Garrett, my teammate at the time, he was six foot, so okay, definitely I had a insert in my seat and getting the seatbelts right and it, yeah. it's not as easy as it looks but yeah. ideally you want to find someone that the same size <laughs> so it's a quick change now but. when you're driving with an insert does it go all the way up the seat back or is it only to like the small of your back or like it's how... just a poured seat and it would just go up to my back okay and then kind of fold it over so okay yeah how it's comfortable like was that seat. to drive in though like you know could you you obviously couldn't like really lean back because there wasn't like super support back it was it was poured was it, like, out sloped like a seat up? yeah it okay. was sloped up so. okay felt like a regular seat you know yeah but yeah I've, I've always kind of wondered that because you look at like driving team lineups and you're like that guy's like five five and that dude's like six three like how does that work yeah and so they, they can't they adjust the seat for like the six three guy or like is a six three guy not comfortable either it's just i don't like think they compromise can, for everybody i don't think they can put them on uh rollers, yeah i don't yeah, sliders. I think they can slide, I think yeah. use inserts and yeah kind of work your way around obviously the taller guy gets screwed on, yeah. on his deal but <laughs> It just uh, it's not comfortable for anybody, man. No. So now let's talk about uh, about street cars that you've had. I think I saw a while back you had an FRS for a little while, right? Yeah. Unfortunately, I have a problem with wrecking street cars <laughs> and not from speeding, just somehow getting into dumb accidents. Yeah. All the all the accidents, knock on wood, have been everyone else's fault. But out of college, I got a, a BMW 135 IS. Oh, nice! And that thing. Oh, and the IS. So it was still the uh, the 54 motor instead of the N55, yeah. right? And yeah. Fun factor. I mean, that was it. Plenty of power. Handled like a champ. 
unfortunately, I killed that one. But <laughs> got a Subaru BRZ after that. Yeah. And, you know, my first car was a VW R32. Oh, really? So Okay, what what generation? First gen. Okay. So what was that, 04, 05? 04. Yeah, okay. Awesome. Did you do the uh, the flapper mod to it so you could have the exhaust open all the time? I did. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds great, man. Yeah, my buddy Morgan Newberger had one of those when we were in college. And, you know, it was kind of a fat pig, but it sounded great. And it actually handled pretty decent. You know what it is? It's a sleeper. I was. It's a toss-up at the time from an Evo or Subaru STI. And yeah. the R32 really doesn't look that special. It looks like no. just another Golf. Yeah. But, you know, it's a fun car. And I've been fortunate to have some pretty neat cars. And we're working on a new one now for Driven as a promotional vehicle, probably a 370Z. Okay. You know, as we're coming out with our new products, we're going to take that to events. It'll be wrapped in the Driven color. Yeah. Colors, and I just want to go out there and slide it around at some local drift events. There you go. <laughs> you thought about running it in any, like, time attacks or anything, like like global time attack or That's maybe maybe some of our good life time attack stuff? For sure. You know, you just make it kind of universal so I yeah. can go out there and have some fun myself and show off all our products. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's actually a, a really good choice. Like a 350 Z, 370 Z, um, is actually, a they've come down in price a decent amount. Still a nice car though. Good, good touring car. So if you're going to be driving it to events, um, you know, I don't know if, if you can fit a lot of promotional stuff in there, so you might end up towing it. But. That's when the trailer comes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, that's a, that's a good option. What, what kind of made you settle on the 370? Look, I looked at Corvettes, and it doesn't really fit our kind of age demographic with Driven. Yeah. I've looked at BMWs, but I've always wanted a 370Z. It's just something about that body style that yeah. it's appealing, you know, and you really don't have to do much to it to make it look cool, you know. Maybe put rims on it. The stock ones are pretty cool. It's got a decent motor in it, so cage it, put some Driven FIA seats in it, Driven steering wheel. Hopefully, we don't have any wrecks because then I'll need an airbag. <laughs> And just see what happens. But I think it'll be good, you know? Yeah, absolutely. People will be able to relate to that. So you're going to do suspension and stuff on it, too? Eventually. Okay. I think for now, it's just being able to get all of our interior pieces in there and go from there. So. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. So now, what are the, the future plans for Driven? Um, you know, obviously, you're going to do do the car. What's kind of, what are the big events you're going to be hitting this year? We'll be at all the um, East Coast Formula Drift events. Okay. We'll be at Long Beach. It's their first race of the year, and they get typically over 50,000 people. Oh, wow. And then the plan is to have a uh, Driven Girl at each and every local event uh, around here, you know? Yeah. Send them in our transit, send them with some inventory, and go out there and sell. Okay. So try to hit every local event, you know, in the area. Yeah. Awesome. So, yeah, we hope uh, hope you can make it out to some of our Grid Life events. For I sure. Know, invitations open. We'll get, uh, we'll get a schedule. Definitely Roto Anna, I think, will be a cool one. Yeah. I know you guys get... Tons of traffic there. Yeah. And you're saying that the first event of the year is already sold out. Yeah, for driver spots are, are sold out. Um, you know, I think we're 25% of the way through our, our general admission ticket sales, too, uh, which, you know, registration for that opened on Friday, and it's now Tuesday. So uh, they're going going pretty quick, man. <laughs> for sure. So, we'll try to make it. Yeah. So, well, where can people find out more about uh, about Driven and kind of follow you guys and yeah, I mean, we're on every social media. Our website's drivensteering.net or drivenracegroup.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You know, we love Instagram. I feel like the dumber the posts we make, the more likes we get. But 
Sounds yeah. like sounds like Jordan Taylor, man. Yeah, <laughs> Jordan Taylor is like the king of the that. mullet man. He's, I mean, he's just kind of a goofy guy in general, but <laughs> and I love him for it. <laughs> but definitely stay tuned. Um, you know, we got a lot of cool products in development, and uh, like I said, 2017, the big players are going down. <laughs> Driven's here to stay. We're looking forward to it, man. So thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you.